0: How's everybody doing? Let's find our, find our seats, find our seats. All right, we are uh, walking through the book of John. All right, so uh, it's our, our practice is to take a book of the Bible and just kind of preach straight through it. Uh, we feel like we get a, a well-rounded view of, of uh, what Scripture teaches and helps us cover a variety of topics. All right, so uh, you, don't, you don't get my particular hobby horse what the Word says. So we're going to be in John chapter 3 and verse 22. John chapter 3 verse 22. If you got it, say, I got it. If you don't got it, say, wait a minute. That's okay. We can wait. We got time. We can wait. John 3, 22. John 3, 22. All right. So as you turn in there, a um, couple things, that's just some thoughts that I feel. I want to be a church that is honest. I feel like sometimes we can, um, there's a temptation to be so spiritual that you're not being honest. You can be so spiritual and you you know maybe feelings are thoughts that you ought to have, but they're not the feelings and the thoughts that you actually have, right? So so as for this week, I, I'm not going to lie, I, I had a I had a week of of questioning. I, I had a week where I where I just I, I felt some some emotions that that weren't um they weren't great. You know, I was I I watched the news which you know, that's not always the great thing for your emotions but you know, you, you see uh just you see the coronavirus going on, and, and you see division, you know, the, the political season's heating up, With there's all these arguments, and then uh, not only that, I hear about different things happening in the, in the community, and, and sometimes I was thinking, you know, when I look at the problems in the world, when I look at the divisions, when I see um, suffering, I have to ask the question, is what I'm doing actually making a difference? I don't know if you ever thought that if you're looking at the world and you see all the the complexity of problems and and not even the complexity but but the depth of some of the suffering that you can observe and you just think, well, is what I'm doing actually impacting anything is that even a possibility you know i when i when I think about um like scripture's mandate. I, in Genesis 1, when, when God creates humanity, he says, I created you in my image and, and I want you to go rule. That's the, that's the command to rule, which is really strange because it's like, do I feel like I'm a king? What, is, what does it mean to, to go rule? But the idea is this, is that uh, maybe a better word to help you understand it is order. I want you to go order. Once you go order stuff, not order like I want a sandwich, but like like order in a way that is proper. And so when I look at the world, I, I see a lot of disorder. Things that are not ordered in the particular way that will lead to flourishing, to life, to goodness. And I'm thinking, as I as I was just having these, these philosophical thoughts about the world, I thought, what is needed? What in the world is needed? We need people who, who care for others. We need people to, to stand up for, for those who can't speak for themselves. We, we need those who would consider others above themselves. In other words, we need new people. We need a new type of people. We, we, need, we need something fundamentally new that, that would happen in the lives of people that thus would change how the world is ordered. And here's the interesting thing. when you think of a spiritually mature person, I want you to think like what comes to your mind if you think of somebody who's spiritual. Now from the world's perspective, maybe you would you would think of somebody who can quote uh, a lot of scripture or, or if, if, depending on where you come from, you might think of somebody who might even be prideful, a little little uh, uppity about what they may know. But I want to tell you that the goal of spiritual maturity, is that you would love others well. And so, and so then then go, go back to the question, if, if what we believe about Scripture is true and what we believe about God's intentions are true is that He wants to make us spiritually mature, meaning that we would love others well, and then just think about what would happen in a world where everybody loved each other well. Would we not see a lot of the correction to the chaos? That if, if we considered others above ourselves and love others well. So then the question is well, well how, what, what does it look like to, to, to grow in spiritual maturity? And, and my contention in this text is this that, is that humility, humility is the key to spiritual maturity. Humility is the key to spiritual maturity. Let's look at John 3. Verse 22, it says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and baptized. John, John the Baptist, John also was baptizing in Anion near Salim because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized since John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about and who was with you across the Jordan (coughs) is baptizing and everyone is going to him. John responded, no one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard. And yet no one accepts his testimony. The one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. For the one whom God sent speaks God's words, since he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life. But the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there are times when we read your word, and it is indeed complex. And Lord, we need your help to understand your word. Lord, we need your your help to, to not only understand your word, but to obey your word. So would you, in your kindness, help us to do just that, to listen and obey your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, one of the the key traits that we see in the life of Jesus is that he himself embraced humility. So when I look at verse 22, it says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them, and baptized. Now, the, after this, you got to ask, well, what happened before that? What was going on before that is that Jesus was in Jerusalem, the, the capital city of, of religion from a Jewish perspective, yeah? It, it was where you would want to be if you were a religious teacher. In fact, when he was in Jerusalem, if we go back to chapter 2 and verse 23, it says, while he was in Jerusalem during, during the Passover festival, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. So he's in Jerusalem, he's doing signs, he's teaching, and all these people are believing on him. And not only that, after that, we have Nicodemus, who was one of the religious leaders, is coming to him at night, basically saying, yo, can you teach me? Now, from Jesus' perspective, if you're like, oh, I have come here to start a religious movement, it would make sense to stay in Jerusalem, right? Right? you had more people, more influence right there. Yet, he left the popularity and the platform of the city for the sake of discipleship. He left the popularity and the platform of the city for the sake of discipleship. He did what was counterintuitive to start a religious movement, Instead of building a large crowd, he invested in his disciples and and did a comparatively regular ministry. See, this this was a humble thing because Jesus could have literally spent time with anyone. Like, he could have walked into any palace, into any religious leader's uh, meeting, and he could have spoke in a way and have done signs in a way where he would have been the center of attention and he would have been able to gain notoriety and he would have been able to start any type of movement that he wanted to do. Yet I think he did, in my opinion, what was harder. Instead of investing widely, he invested deeply with a few. Now I can tell you this because I've done both. Listen, what I'm doing right now is easier than actually building relationships and dealing with the mess in somebody's life. It's just true. So, so if he, Jesus, the Son of God, he could have had all the notoriety. He could have, have bypassed some of the suffering. <clears throat> but he said, no, nah, I love these disciples. I love these, these regular sinful men. And I'm going to withdraw, and I'm going to spend time with them. Now, here's one thing we know about the disciples. They weren't always the sharpest tool in the box, okay? They weren't. They weren't like the 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 religious elite. You know, the the the, the night before he's crucified, Peter's cutting off people's ear. You know, what I mean, it's just it's just it's just not it's not the cream of the crop. It's what's going down. And Jesus says, now, nah, what I want to do is I want to invest deeply in a few people that are actually highly messed up, and I'm going to build a movement off of these people." Now, that that is so that is so counterintuitive. I think a lot of times what happens is when we read Scripture, it seems it's so far uh, away from our modern context that we don't actually uh, pull it into what that would look like right here. What, it's, it's like Jesus saying like, I, he could have built a, a megachurch, and instead he, he goes down to rural South Carolina and hangs out in the trailer park. This is what Jesus is doing demonstrating his humility and his love and his care not not for the elite but for everyday people now the question is what does that say for us now if if Jesus example of influence of literally to 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 start changing how people think and how they operate if his decision is to not speak broadly, but to invest deeply in a few, what does that say for us? That we should seek to, to serve and invest in a few over against trying to build the largest platform. Now, we all have aspirations and dreams, and they, they, they can be good and wonderful, but, but we don't want our aspirations and dreams to trump what actually is important, that we would invest in people. And listen, if we're honest, wherever our circles are, your neighborhood, your your workplace, your family, you, you probably have some favorites in your heart. I probably would rather spend time with, you know, the less complicated person. But Jesus challenges us to say, no, no, no. To live out the calling of discipleship means that we would invest in the least and the loss, and that we would invest relationally deep. See, we need to see the power of long-term personal investment in others. See, I started with this question of looking at the problems of the world, right? And and, and when we look at this huge scope, which listen, I want you to understand: Jesus came to the world to what? To save it. Jesus, his mission is global. And Jesus says, I'm going to accomplish my global mission by investing in a few regular people. And what that says for us is that how we would follow him and how we would imitate him is saying, I want to find a few regular people and I want to inv- invest my life. What the, I want you to understand the difference between a platform where you might speak broadly And personal investment is one where if I speak broadly, I don't actually have to be known. Not really. You don't really have to know me. But if I invest in a few, then I am known, I am seen, and I'm inconvenienced. But if if we want to see change, listen, broadly, then we invest deeply. All right, so so we we we, 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 we that sets the stage, and, and what comes next is is we're looking at this this disagreement, which is a kind of strange disagreement. So let's let's look at it. Verse twenty three, it says, John was also baptizing in I don't even know I say that Aonon, near Salim because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized since John had not yet been thrown in prison. Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about. And who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. All right, so John and Jesus, they are cousins, they are friends, and Jesus is like, well, I guess we can do ministry around the same area. So you got John and his disciples are baptizing, Jesus and his disciples are baptizing, and someone came to John's disciples to argue about purification. And purification, it was really, they were arguing about what is the meaning of this baptism. Now, we don't have any record of what the actual conversation was about. Like, they had this argument about purification. So the text doesn't mention what the disagreement was about, but it brought up an issue that disturbed John's disciples. I imagine they were in some sort of technical argument, like this Jew and John's disciples. And I imagine the Jew said, you know what? Y'all ain't even baptizing as much people as y'all used to baptize. Look at him over there. And then they pressed that button. They're like, wait, wait, wait. Well, snap. He's right. <laughs> wait a minute. So John's disciples... And that moment started to become jealous of Jesus' ministry. They're thinking, "Wait a second, didn't we start this baptizing thing? Wouldn't fir- Wouldn't he the first one to say, "Come and repent and get baptized? Should not John and should not we have gotten more credit? We're the one who even told you about Jesus? They saw their own influence diminishing. That's where the question is coming from, that jealousy had gripped their heart. Now, here's the craziest thing. Here's the craziest thing. Instead of rejoicing that ministry was being done, they were just mad because they weren't receiving as much credit as they used to have. See, this tells us that that jealousy robs us of joy. Jealousy robs us of joy. How much division and and clashes and and anger and frustration is born in the world because of jealousy. It can be something even simple. I don't know if you've ever gone to a restaurant. Maybe you go to your favorite restaurant. I got a couple of favorite restaurants, and I know there's certain certain dishes that are like, I know that's good. I'ma get a I'ma get a good meal. And so you get you get your favorite meal and you sit down and then you look over. Yeah. And you see somebody else's food. And you're like, dog, God. I should have got that. Now, listen, you was happy before you saw the other food. <laughs> you you like, I was going to get something good, but but we have these these feelings of jealousy so easily will arise, and if, if they're left unchecked, they deal damage. Now, here's what I love. I love John's response, right? Because he could have responded in a variety of ways. He could have been like, wait, oh, snap. We got to redouble our ministry efforts. And yet, John responded in humility look at verse 28 he says you yourselves can testify that i said i am not the messiah but i've been sent ahead of him he who has the bride is the groom but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice so this joy of mine is complete he must increase but i must decrease See, see, John knew his place. He, he knew his role in God's story. See, contentment and joy are found in purpose. When I understand God's purpose, God, God's, God's role, my place in God's story, then I can find contentment. And here's the deal, here's the deal. He goes on to say that my place is not at the top, right? He goes on to exalt Jesus in the scenario, he's saying, like, he's saying, I'm like Jesus' best man. That's, that's what he's saying. I'm, I'm like the best man, right? And the first thing he says, he's like, listen, God's people is not, that's not my bride. That's Jesus' bride. Like, imagine how weird it would be if the best man was like, actually, I want to marry He'd be like, nah, you. Like, no, you need to get up out my face. You know, like, <laughs> we ain't cool no more. You know what I mean? Like, like, so he understands. Like, like, actually, I, I don't, I don't own God's people. That, that, that's, that's not my bride. That's Jesus' bride. And, and then he's like, nah, he's genuinely happy for his friend. He sees he sees the bride's good coming from the fact that her husband is coming to be with her. He understood his place. He understood his role. And understanding his role, one that was humble, one that was in submission to Jesus, he could find genuine joy. And John the Baptist is happy that Jesus' ministry is increasing, listen, even if it costs him his own. What What he say? Like in verse 3, he says, "'He must increase, but I must decrease.'" Here's the beautiful thing is, is as we humble ourselves, God's glory can be seen more clearly. That is counterintuitive to what we would want to do. We all have this this inner desire for self-promotion. And listen, John's self-promotion wasn't like, I want to be the dictator, it was good. He, he wanted to share about God's goodness, but even that can be tainted. And so, John's embrace of humility led the bride to her groom. Now, the question that his disciples should have asked, or probably were asking, but maybe not have said, is how was he okay with this decrease? Like, how was he just so calm? The, about the fact that his ministry is decreasing. Let's look at verse 31. He says, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who was from earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, yet no one accepts his testimony. The one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. So again, John is affirming, like, this humility, it comes from recognizing his place, that compared to Jesus, Jesus is here and John is here. I, it's, it's such an interesting thing because we, we live in a world that, that we always want to be affirmed, and sometimes we can't recognize that humility is the safer place. See, uh, ima- imagine this. Imagine, imagine if, if your house was on fire, right? And let's just say that you are not a firefighter, okay? You're just a regular person. Your house is on fire, and the firefighter comes, and he puts the fire out, out in your house. And then you get mad at the firefighter because he gets credit for putting the fire out. It's like, but, that, but you couldn't have done that. that. That wasn't your role. Like, you didn't, you didn't have the equipment that's what John's saying. John's saying, listen, I, I, I'm not the one who can save the world. I didn't come from heaven. I don't have all the information, but I can tell you about the one who does. I can point you to the one who knows. He goes, he goes on to say, say that, 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 that Jesus, the first verse, Jesus testifies to what he has seen and heard, yet no one accepts his testimony. That, Jesus are, are, that the people are rejecting Jesus, they're rejecting His testimony, which is ludicrous because He is the only one who actually knows what's going on. But see, rejecting the testimony of Jesus is actually an elevation of your own status. Because the, 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 like, just like John, we are earthly, we are finite, we don't have infinite knowledge. See, rejecting Jesus is like rejecting the warnings of a time traveler. He came from the future. He knows what's going to happen. And you're like, "Nah, I'm good. I'm good. Here's the beautiful thing is that Jesus uses his ultimate status to not boast in himself, but to save us. In verse 34, it says, For the one whom God sent speaks God's words since he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. This is saying that Jesus is the one with all things. This is, says that Jesus has the Holy Spirit without measure that's what verse 34 says that 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 he gives the spirit to Jesus without measure now the scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit gives life upholds things that that that, that is the, the the source of the power uh, in, in creation and that Jesus has the Holy Spirit without measure not only that that God the Father all of his love all of his affection has been placed Jesus, and not only that, that he has all this authority, that he has the authority to do whatever he would want to do. And what he uses with, with this creative power, with the Father's affection, and with his authority, is that he lays it down for us so that we could have life. He used his status and access to give life to the humble. He's like, I have everything, and what I want to do is I want to give you eternal life. Now, eternal life is, 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 is a very interesting saying because when you, when you hear the phrase eternal life, you think live forever, which, you know, you kind of put the words together. But what's interesting is that, that Jesus defines what eternal life is later in the book of John. In John 17, 3, he says, eternal life is to know the one and only true God in Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. So, so Jesus uses his status, his power, his access to put us in connection with the living God. And our recognition of his power and us coming to him and approaching him humbly gives us access to the one who created all things, who was the source of all goodness, all joy, and all peace. <coughs> In other words, we get to experience God's goodness, his joy, his power, his love. See, giving us life is not only something that happens to us, it's something that happens in us. That when we are in connection with the living God, he doesn't change, but we do. So so how can can John respond in such a, such a humble way when, when his disciples are like, man, your ministry is falling. Like, what, what are you doing? Jesus' ministry is going great. Yours is not going great. Like, that, in any other situation, that is a recipe for division, frustration, anger, for, for the, the things that we see characterize our world. But John has been in contact with the living God. And there has been some sort of fundamental change in his own heart, in his own life. So, so, so what we need is we need to be in connection with the living God. And as we are in connection with him, he makes us new and then we begin to contribute not to the chaos and division that exists in this world, but we can live in humility and joy and peace and contribute and build that. Now, he says something interesting, and I feel like uh, this, is, this might not be true, but I feel like every time that I read or say something out loud about God's wrath, that, that, is, that makes people supremely uncomfortable. I just, maybe, maybe, you know, I just feel like that's one of them words, like you're like, ooh. In you know, verse 36, he says, it says that the one who, who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God will remain on him. Now, there's two things I want to point out about that. First is, what, what's so interesting is, is the entrance into life is accepting that Jesus is supreme and that he is good and that he has died for sin. In other words, the entrance into life is one of submission and humility. So, so the opposite is, if, if, I, if I reject Jesus, it, it is a sign of, of my pride in my own self. Now, here's the interesting thing. It says that the one who rejects Jesus, the wrath of God remains on him. Now, in, in Romans 1, there's this long discussion about what the wrath of God actually looks like. In Romans 1, when it discusses God's wrath, it says that, that, God, that, that people, instead of worshiping the Creator, they started worshiping created things, and God in His wrath gave them over to what they wanted. So, So, so there is an aspect of God's wrath that is allowing people to get what they want. It is allowing evil to go unchecked because we have chosen evil. And so, so like, when, when we look at the chaos that is in the world, I would say this is an evidence of God's wrath. That people said, instead of being humble Instead of loving others, I want to do what I want to do. I want to gain for myself, and I will take what I need to take. And you can see, it just seems like it, it just keeps, like, going without, like, like, a check and a balance. You see all this chaos at work in the world, and God is saying, I am giving them over to their rap. But listen, listen, if we would come to Him and submit to Him, and He puts a stop to that, and He makes a new humanity and a new creation. And we are in touch with the living God. What that means is he puts puts parameters on our heart, right? That we just can't engage sin like we used to. That we just can't can't desire all the, 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 the wrong things that we once wanted. That he begins to put a parameter in our own heart. You know, what I love about this story is that John the Baptist was the great diffuser of division in the situation. And that's what we need in this world. His humility came from a recognition of who Jesus is. His humility came from being changed by Jesus. Now, what's the, the, the craziest thing about that the identity of Jesus that we find is this, that that Jesus is, in John 1, it says that, that he was with God, that he was in the beginning, and that he was God. And the craziest question that you would have to ask yourself is, how could the one who has all power be humble? How could the creator, the master, the king, embody humility? And we get the answer in Jesus. That, that the one who created all things, what I love about Jesus is he doesn't command us to do what he has not done. So the, the one who created all things, what he has done to, 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 to make a change and a, and a fundamental uh, 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 revolution in our world is that he has come and lived out humility to the point of death on a cross. He died because of our pride, because of our lack of submission, because of our contribution to the mess of the world. And his death and resurrection gives us access to the change that we want to see in us. That when I am connected to him, that that same power that rose him from the dead is at work in me. And so the question is this, what does it look like for the believer to live into or to walk into, walk eternal life out? What does it look like? And again, I think it's counterintuitive because when you see this radical eternal life connected to God, we're like, well, man, we can go on the streets and change everything. But I think to live out the traits of eternal life, of walking with God. It means not being ashamed of doing the small, unseen services. It means investing in people. It means humbly pointing people to Jesus. It means staying low and finding joy in Him. These humble, small acts is what Jesus uses to bring about a new order and a new creation. Now here's the beautiful thing is that 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 I, one of the things I love is is um I love history if you if you don't know that you you just know I'm a nerd I'm a nerd okay. Um one of the things I love is is how Christianity spread in the Roman Empire. So so Christianity had no political power From all statistics we can see, we can see that it was widely the religion of slaves and women, which in that, obviously you didn't have rights then, and the women didn't have a lot of rights back in in that time period. And so in about 300 years, this faith that did not have any political power and, and no popularity spread to every corner of this empire. And the question is, How? They, like th- There was no political or, or forceful apparatus to make this happen. But when you read the writings, even the people who weren't Christians at that time, they would always co- comment on how much they loved the poor, that they were kind, that they cared, that they were investing in one another. They, these little, small acts that didn't seem as if they had Power, Jesus used those small, humble, simple acts to bring about change. That is what He does with us. These simple, humble acts. And so, my hope and my prayer is that that we would be so connected to Him that that we would be so grateful for His sacrifice that that we would allow Him to do work in our hearts, so that we can do this world-changing small acts of service and love to see Jesus spread and lifted high in our community. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I love you. You are good. You are holy. You are just. Lord, I I ask that we would be... um, just so grateful for your humility displayed and how you have, have died on the cross, that we would be so grateful that your power was displayed by your resurrection. Lord, I ask that by your power, you would change us, that you would work in us so that we could contribute to the good and the flourishing of our neighbor. In Jesus' name. You know, we um, respond in a couple of ways. One of the ways we respond is, is by um, taking communion. You know, Jesus died on the backside of a city. There, much of the world wasn't there. Nobody was, was glorifying that. Everyone looked away. And This, this act of, of death on the backside of a city opened up the gates of eternal life for us. And we, we remember when we remember that he said that with the bread he broke. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, said, this is my blood that is spilled for you for the forgiveness of sins. And when we take that, we are remembering and experiencing his goodness. So when you feel ready, you can come and we have the two options. You can take the bread or, you know, if you're feeling like you're sick, take one of these. Alright, of the communion cup. And this is some hand sanitizer right here. But um let's stand and worship, and when you feel led, come and take care.